welcome everybody for joining our uh, the second meeting of our book club. We just uh, very quickly uh, do some introduction and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Got, uh, got really good content here for everybody. Uh, so why this book club? Um, this is my realization re uh, lately is that, you know, who we are is actually a direct result of all the habits that we practice. You know, we have a lot of good habits. We have a lot of bad habits. Uh, but, you know, who we are and where we are today is actually a direct result of all the habits that we are practicing. And so the more successful habits that we adopt from the successful people around us or from reading and all that, uh, the more we can achieve. And so uh, one of the things that uh, we learn is that if we read on a regular basis, you know, we are, um, we are able to draw more references um, and uh, it adds a lot of vocabulary in uh, what we say, so we sound a lot smarter. <laughs> Um, and uh, we, can, we can also realize, we also realize that we are uh, applying a lot of these um, concepts that we, we gain from reading uh, to our day-to-day -day life and to our career and our businesses and uh, things blossom. So uh, reading is a very good habit. Uh, some wise words, um, a book holds a, a thousand gold, a house of gold. And, um, you know, we have a lot of smart people that uh, also enjoy reading. A typical CEO, I learned from uh, Brent, is that a typical CEO reads 60 books. So, uh, and a lot of people don't read even more books, like 100 books. So uh, uh, reading is, uh, is very in, um, instrumental to uh, the successful people. So the vision of this book club is to bring together a group of highly motivated individuals and we can all grow together. You know, we're, we're reading books together We'll have some really awesome discussions together uh, and we all grow together. So the agenda for the day is, uh, I guess I think I already did the introduction uh, and we'll have the, um, the discussion. It's gonna be led by John. John, Mr. John, you here. Say hi to everybody. Hey everyone. Um, and then we'll also do a, uh, a bonus on introducing to everyone to join our community um, you know everything is educational purposes only we don't offer investment financial and legal advice so let me introduce the uh, uh, everyone that's gonna be leading the discussion the panelists I am real estate IQ's uh, co-founder Steve Liang not much remarkable about me I'm gonna skip to the next one. <laughs> oh, Brent go ahead Oh, I'm introducing myself. Steve, I think you're pretty remarkable. Uh, my name is Brent Mott. I'm a full-time real estate investor. Uh, I've been investing for uh, about the last 10 years. I've uh, been helping other people with their investing for about the last five. Um, I do everything from single family to development to commercial subdivision. Uh, always looking for, for new things to, to develop. So some of the stuff that we're going to talk about in the chapter uh, really resonated with me to kind of follow around my uh, the growth path of my career in real estate. Thank you, Brent. My pleasure. We, uh, so Joseph is in our town hall meeting, so he's not going to be uh, attending this, this session with us today. So we're going to skip him and go to Mr. John Yu. Hey, I just, I, I'm Jonathan Yu. I go by John, uh, and I've been investing in real estate since 2013. I started out uh, as a commercial real estate investor and then uh, dove into residential real estate. Uh, went full-time into uh, real estate investment back last year and uh, kind of went more towards the commercial side again. And uh, yeah, I, that's that's what I do, so. Thank you. And John is also going to be leading our discussion. So looking for some really good stuff here. So logistics is that we are meeting on every Friday uh, from 12 to 1 and each session will designate a speaker to create a presentation of the chapter. And we're reading this book called The Mastery uh, for those of you who are new and uh, joining us. Um, and if you are interested in leading the discussion, you can send us a message on the chat on the bottom of this uh, the Zoom window. And uh, we would love to have you uh, lead, help us lead the discussions also. Okay, so uh, now I'm going to uh, give 
pass on the mic to John. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and share my PowerPoint with you guys. Uh, this is chapter one. Um, so uh, this is the book is Mastery by Robert Greene. And uh, first chapter is talking about finding one's life's task. Uh, and I think this is really important because uh, each of us, we, we go through our lives, you know, life gets in the way. And um, a lot of us don't really start on our life's task until much later. You know, it could be when you're out of college, when you're already done with all your studies, or it could be even much, much later. Uh, for real estate investors, uh, I know plenty of real estate investors that doesn't start in their real estate investing career until they retired, really. And I think this is just really important that uh, through your life, you try to find this task as soon as possible. Uh, and a lot of times you can find, uh, you can find what you're do currently doing actually is very much in relationship to that inner calling. So in the book, they use Leonardo da Vinci as, as, a, as, a, you know, as an example. And then there are, in the book is introduced the steps of finding your calling. And this is just going to, you know, connecting with your inclination, your uniqueness, what really triggered you to do all your, all your decisions when you have, you know, a path to take, uh, what, what prompts you to go to, uh, you know, to, to go to a basketball game versus to sit home and study mathematics, what prompts you to go into computer versus playing video games. Uh, then now look at the career path that you're on. The choice uh, of that path is most likely, you know, in large to find one's calling. A lot of people think, oh, I could just go into career because, you know, I want to make money. Well, yes, making money is good, but there's a lot of choices and all of them are great choices to make great money. Why did you choose that the career path you're on? Most likely there's some hint of uh, your life's task in that, in that, uh, career path that you're currently on. And uh, finally, it should definitely, your current career path should be looked at more as a journey with twist and turn instead of a straight line. And that just means, you know, we are most, most of us here are real estate investors or somebody who is interested in real estate. Um, real estate investing is, and I, I want, I want to just say this, I don't know how to say it exactly, but it's really, really, really wide, really, really it's not hard, it's really wide, but there's a lot of choices you can make within real estate investment. So it's not just, okay, I think my life's calling is I love real estate and then I'm just gonna go into real estate investing, I'm done. No, you have to keep going and choose that niche inside uh, this career or any other career that you may be looking at. So, um, and then in the book, it comes, goes into the strategy of finding this life's task the first one being return to your origins. Again, you know, what really prompts you when, when you were given a choice, when you were a kid, what makes you do the actions that you did? Um, occupy the perfect niche. How did you find your niche inside the career path that you chose? Avoid the wrong path. How not to take the wrong path or use uh, going down the wrong path as a, a reminder of what your real life's task is look over the past, some of us, most of us have did something that we're not proud of in the past and or have experiences that we're not particularly um, happy with in the past. It could be, you know, uh, it could be the stress from parents, could be the stress of your current situation, financial situation, but how to let go of that and look into the current and the future and how to find your way back when you take that wrong turn uh, in, in life to find this life's task. So I'm going to go into the strategies. Um, so the first is return to your origin. Again, like in the book, they talk about all these famous people, Albert Einstein, how, you know, when he was given a compass at a, at a young age, he was fascinated with how the compass always point towards a certain direction, no matter where you turn it. And this compelled him to try to find the hidden forces inside our uh, mother nature that you know, we cannot see and to find the truth behind that. And so in here is to master a field, you must really love the subject and have a profound connection to it. Your interests 
will tr transcend and I can't read my own PowerPoint, hold on. Uh, transcend the field itself and border on the religious. So uh, for me personally, you know, ever since I was a kid, I, I really, really, I just really love solving problems. So like I'm one of those math nerds that, you know, wants to have all these equations in front of me and just solve it and get the right answer and then present it to, you know, the teacher or whoever. And then, you know, they're all, this is wrong. It's like, nah, I can't be wrong. I gotta go back and solve it again. Um, and I think, you know, that's, it, I, I always have a punch list for, for things that I need to get done. And I wouldn't say real estate is that, but I would say investment is. So I know after I graduated out of, you know, undergrad, I, I, I took architecture as an undergrad and uh, it was it was a great and a bad choice it was great because it's a relationship to real estate it was bad because it has a lot to do with design and i just am not good with design it's not straightforward at all it's not something like oh one plus one equals two no there's multiple multiple different ways of of of, of doing this so i i struggled i graduated by a struggle but when you look at investment it's it's very very straightforward either makes sense or it does not make sense. You either can make money or you're gonna lose money. And you can make either a lot of money or you can potentially, it's, it's all something that you can calculate it in. So that's how I find out that I love investment more than, you know, whatever architecture, I guess, is, is, my, is my undergrad. I wanna hand the mic over to uh, Brent here and have him share a little bit about his own life experience and how he connects to this particular point. Go ahead, Brent. So I had a, a little bit uh, more unique. I, it wasn't just something that I discovered on my own, I guess. Um, I uh, my, my grandmother invested in real estate, um, and I'm, I'm finding this out as I'm older. So did uh, pretty much my my family came to – I'm studying the, the history of Texas right now, so I'm researching my family's history with Texas as well. My family uh, came uh, uh, to Texas during a time of economic turmoil, um, in the mid 1800s, they came over from, from Germany and they actually started investing in, uh, in real estate, uh, you know, 150, 200 years ago. So as it turns out, I guess it's in my blood. I, I didn't know that that was a, I didn't know that until recently. Um, but, uh, I, I saw that my grandmother got involved in this and I always knew that it was something uh, that, that I wanted to get into. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'd love to say that I'm completely altruistic and I just chase what I'm uh, passionate about all the time. Um, I've been very financially motivated, um, for, for, you know, most of my life, I've been very, very financially motivated. When I was a kid, I wanted to go, I wanted to be a lawyer because they made a lot of money and we, we didn't have a lot of money and it seemed like it would be fun to have a lot of money. So I, I wanted a lot of money. Um, and, and, you know, uh, you're talking about stuff that you're not necessarily proud of. Um, I, uh, I was kind of a lazy kid. Um, I'm kind of a lazy adult as well. And, uh, and, and just being honest with myself, uh, I, I'm not lazy. I'm efficient. Um, and one of the things that I love about real estate is I get to get, I get to benefit financially uh, and support my family based off of work that I've done in the past. Um, and, and I'm willing to work really, really hard now so that I don't have to work as hard later. So uh, speaking of investing, I love the, um, that we plan uh, and, and can move things forward uh, based off of what, of what we're looking for. But um, I have a, a unique investing career and in that I'm, I'm involved in, uh, in education as well. Uh, and I love, I love educating and that, that was a passion as well. And one of the things that, uh, that green talks about is, is finding what you're passionate about and what your true calling is. Well, education, uh, education might be my, my true calling. Um, but education in a traditional sense does not pay well. And I wanted to get into uh, an industry that pays well. So by chasing, you know, real estate and something that's very financially rewarding, that allows me to uh, to help educate others in that. Um, uh, and and my 
my benefit from real estate is I get to pay for pay for my I get to pay for my lifestyle through my investing and do something that I'm passionate about uh, on on the side. Let's go into the next one. Are you are you done? Oh, sorry. sorry, not not much of an origin story, but I mean it, it's it's interesting. Of uh, I I didn't have the um, you know um, my my grandfather gave me a uh, one of the, one of, one of the uh, uh, the things that you use for surveying on a tripod, and I looked through it, and I'm like, oh, I love land, and I love to um, when when it comes to when it comes to houses, I don't care. I, I don't care. I, I have my very specific um, investing criteria, but what I love about real estate investing is I love the, the structure. I love, I love structuring the deal and putting the deal together. I, I honestly, if you ask me what backsplash should we use? I don't know. Look at the comps that what, whatever, whatever the comps has do something similar to that. So I'm uh, most people that, that get into real estate are the, um, you know, I watched HGTV every day and I love the, and I love the flip and I love the design. I don't, I don't care about design. I, I do not care in the least about design. Uh, what I love is I love, I love the business. I've always been drawn to business and strategy and I love the strategy and the business of real estate investing. Yeah, man, we're not presenting a good, uh, for, for the aesthetically uh, talented. <laughs> and and I have I have partners I have partners that, that are very aesthetically gifted that that go in and do all of that, yes. um, and and, and that's the beauty of real estate is you get is when you talk about real estate the way that uh, that my mentor describes it is real estate is a mile wide the knowledge necessary for real estate investing is a mile wide it's not a mile deep so you have to know a little bit about a lot or have or have knowledge and know who knows what you need to know. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next field. Um, the next one, it talks about occupying the perfect oh, niche. Can I talk? Yeah, yeah go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. May I, may, I, uh, may I chime in on the last slide, on the previous slide? Oh, you we want to talk about the last slide? I don't know how to yeah. go, back. go back. I haven't used PowerPoint for like, you uh, know, take you, you can use the left uh, there there. arrow. Okay, so I uh, just want to share uh, my side too. Um, uh, and I think I, sh I share a little bit in the last uh, in the last session too. Um, uh, so right now with Real Estate IQ, we are in the intersection of technology and uh, real estate investing. Um, and so uh, just kind of draw back on my uh, old experience. And you know, I think it just kind of happened to to be such a way. And now I'm reflecting; it seems to make sense uh, that uh, my great grandpa used to own a lot of uh, real estate in uh, in China before the i um before i guess you know there's a political change a regime change and uh all the properties uh, end up changing hands uh, but we always understand you know the value of uh having real estate and having uh passive uh investment you know passive uh income and think about this because uh, back in the days this is what I, what I understand is that you have rice paddies you know and then you have farmers that borrow the, the land and then they, they plant rice and whatever harvest they have, they have to give to the landlord. And so it's a uh, kind of rural version of a rental property. Um, and so, uh, um, so, so that's one, you know, we understand the value of passive investment. Uh, and I guess my background has a lot, a lot to do with technology uh, and, uh, and physics. And uh, I grew up on the West Coast. So, for those of you who, who know a little bit about West Coast, uh, every day there's a, uh, you know, news about billionaire uh, getting created because there are tech, tech company going IPO. So that was kind of uh, the, uh, we got brainwashed in our, um, you know, as I was growing up. And so that just kind of ended up happening, uh, being the, the perfect intersection um, of, you know, I guess uh, going back to, uh, uh, what kind of the origin is, I guess I always wanted to, um, uh, uh like breaking things. I always like, you know, if there's a clock, I want to take it apart and, and see how, uh, how it gets uh, put together. I always have trouble putting it back together because 
you know, I don't know, I guess uh, I'm much better at destroying things <laughs> as a child. Um, and I think that's also kind of part of it because that's uh, part of engineering and technology. Um, so uh, a couple more things I want to uh, comment is that, you know, Brent, when you're talking about, you know, you don't want to be lazy. I think that's a smart person's uh, mindset is the less you do, you know, and the more you can achieve, the better, you know, there's a, a book called do less achieve more. And that's all what it's all about. It's about doing the right things uh, and uh, being able to accomplish more. I also want to uh, introduce an impromptu uh, guest speaker. Uh, her name is uh, Kathy Deng. We just invited her to the, to the panel. Um, and uh, Kathy, if you could also turn on your, your mic also. Uh, Kathy, I asked Kathy if she wanted, wants to participate and uh, she's also gonna be our, our guest panelist um, in impromptu. Are you, uh, are you getting it set up, Kathy? I'm unmuted. Maybe you want to uh, do a quick introduction about yourself and you can also uh, share with us your, uh, your experience. And uh, just to give everyone a, a, a heads up is that Kathy is my wife. And if you have been using our software, she has been kind of the mastermind and of the architect, you know. So when we first created our, our Real Estate IQ for the early clients, you probably know how clunky and how bad our interface look. Uh, so because of Kathy's uh, contribution and her help, now we have a software that, uh, that's much easier to use and her specialized field is uh, user experience and um, information architecture. So it's about how to very quickly, um, I guess, uh, digest the information that we uh, display on the user interface. I think we're doing a much better job because of her help. So, um, Kathy, go ahead. Hi, I'm Kathy. Thank you. So, yeah, so I'm the co-owner of Real Estate IQ, or you can explain. I guess what you guys called version 4.0 of the interface for Real Estate IQ. And like Steve said, like, you know, we had a great undertaking on making it very useful for everyone to use. Um, so just a little bit about myself, it kind of relates to um, returning to your origins. Um, I, I would say I used to be a software engineer, um, but then I found myself in the user experience field. And how did that happen? So like, um, when I was gonna apply for college, my brother told me, hey, wouldn't it be great if I could tell everyone that my little sister is a nuclear engineer? And I said, no, I'm not interested in nuclear engineering, but I guess I can do computer engineering because I really enjoyed uh, creating websites when I was in high school. So then I went ahead and majored in computer engineering and then I got hired as a software engineer. And then on the very first day of orientation, uh, after the first day of work, I decided, oh my gosh, am I going to be programming the rest of my life? I don't think I really want to do that, you know? So I really dug deep and I read um, certain books like uh, What Colors Your Parachute to kind of figure out what is it that I really wanted to do? Because software engineering, I knew it wasn't for me because I, re I really cared more about how do people use software as opposed to building the actual piece of software itself. So then after reading uh, What Colors Your Parachute, um, I thought back about to my childhood and I realized I really cared about like aesthetic art design but I also really cared about how does it function and form in people's lives so that's when I started understanding about the field of user experience and I was like oh that totally makes sense it's almost leading into the next section on occupying the perfect niche which is the intersection of technology and art and design how does that make things useful for other people. Yeah, I just thought I'd turn the slides since you were talking about that. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and okay. I guess on this, on this particular slide, um, you know, I think you mentioned like Yoki Matsuoka, where she kind of intersected between um, her love for tennis and wanting to build that robot to actually um, help her practice her tennis skills, and then kind of came up with a whole new field, with, um, which is like neuro robotics. So she can actually combine her passion for sports and then also use her expertise in science to make a difference in the world. So I thought that was very interesting. It kind of spoke to me as well. And I think Joseph as well, but he's not here today. Um, and, and the other thing I wanted to, uh, you know, Kathy, you haven't shared here because, but you have told me about the story of, you know, your parents, uh, when you were growing up, your parents was always having trouble using the, the TV remote. 
because do everybody know those the remotes that have tons of buttons? Like there's probably a hundred buttons on the remote. And on that, and as an immigrant, and you, you don't understand English, there's a lot of buttons that you don't understand which one to press. Uh, so um, I think, I, I, um, you know, what Kathy shared with me is that was also one of your uh, uh, inspirational stories of kind of getting into this field. Yeah, right. I think we're still fighting the two remote right now. So like, I know back then, before a state thing, like, like the house 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 you only use like maybe like one or two percent of the buttons, you know, turn it on, turn the volume, turn the channel. And then so things got simplified with Apple TV came out because you only had a few buttons down there. Maybe button, pay, pause button. And things were really, really easy for them because you didn't have a few buttons to use. But then the latest iteration, the Apple TV remote, changed things a little bit. If things weren't as tactile, they couldn't like figure out that, oh, this flat piece of plastic right here, I'm supposed to press down on it to actually do something. So yeah, we're still struggling with the TV remote today, but um, it definitely shows how um, user experience um, is really about understanding those user needs. Okay. All right. Um, so like Kathy said, occupying the perfect niche, uh, you know, this book talks about uh, Ramachandran and Yoki Matsuoka. Uh, she connected more with Yoki who combined two fields and formed it into a niche field versus uh, Ramachandran actually goes, um, versus uh, Ramachandran actually um, goes from a broader field and goes narrower and narrower into a niche field. So I want talk a little bit about this part. Um, for me, I think I actually went into real estate investment because of kind of like Yoki, because I study architecture, right? So uh, in, in high school, even though I'm good, I wouldn't say great, I was good at mathematics, I wasn't great, but I didn't really like the whole, oh, okay, so no, just, just solve equation and then that's it, right? I mean, I, I have a sense of, um, how should I say it? Uh, I feel proud whenever I score, you know, 90 plus on my tests and whatever, but it wasn't fun. Like it was, it was fulfilling, but it wasn't fun. So I actually took art and um, I, you know, I, I actually lo loved art. So um, I, I became, a, you know, somewhat of an artist um, in, in high school, you know, took it for four years straight. Uh, I was also in the West Coast. Um, and so when I graduated, I thought, well, if I was to become an artist for life, I'm not going to be able to support myself at all. Like, unless I become some really, really famous artist, which, you know, happens maybe. They don't make money till after they're dead. Yeah, <laughs> which doesn't really happen, right? So I'm like, okay, what's, what's, a, what's, what's something that's artistic but can make some money? architecture well little did i know after actually going into architecture and then graduate architecture does not make much money guys like my architecture is like it's a little bit better than artists because you can make a living but like average salary for after graduate school like and i'm just talking about really high level graduate school like columbia university level is 50 grand a year okay it sucks so like after I graduate, I'm like, well, this sucks. You know, I, I, I go through five years. Architecture programs are typically five to six years. So um, I went through five years and I was like, dude, this does not work. Like, no. <laughs> so I was like, oh, what can I do? What, what is something in relationship with architecture, but it can also make money? Well, much like what, you know, we are talking about, HGTV and those TV shows were kind of, like, hey, you know, flipping houses is great. You know, let's 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 get into that. So, um, you know, right when I graduated, I have a little bit of money saved up, and uh, it prompted me to invest in a very small commercial deal. And um, I was able to do a little bit of design here. Then, not much design really. It was just more like a fix the electricity, fix the piping, repaint it. We're done. And um, that really uh, prompt me, um, you know, I held it for five years. So um, I sold it two years ago. I graduated in 2012, it took me a year to invest in it. And that is a commercial property, industrial property and in, um, close to Fort Worth. 
that made me, I think, tripled my money in five years. And I was like, dang, like, that's the way to go. <laughs> and so, you know, that's why last year uh, I really went full time into real estate investing. So it was kind of combining two fields, architecture a little bit, and then, you know, investment. And then now I'm actually geared more and more towards commercial. I, I learned a lot about residential real estate with Brent and Phil and Shinoa. And uh, it's a great investment strategy and everything, but I actually think I prefer looking at numbers more than unfortunately um, distressed seller. Yeah, so anyway, so I went into more commercial side because it's, it's more straightforward. You now for most commercial deals, there's less of the more off-market deal and more about just have building relationship with your brokers. Uh, most of the deals come from brokers. I'm not saying there are no off-market deals and it's all about underwriting. So that's kind of where I'm gearing towards. I'm still doing residential real estate investment, but not as much anymore. So let's have uh, Brent and maybe Steve talk a little bit about this perfect niche. I think Steve kind of already talked about it a little bit. So um, kind of, in, in thinking about it, and, and the, the more that I think and process about it, um, I kind of did both. I'm going to butcher the name, Rama, Ramachandran. Uh, he, he started off with, you know what, I like this study of field, and then kind of narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down. And uh, Yoki did a, this is interesting. Okay, this connects here, this connects here, this connects here. And I feel, I feel like my investing career has gone from wide to narrow to wide to narrow. And I, and I feel like I go, um, it, it opens me up to more opportunities. And each time I get a new opportunity, I narrow down. So what, what am I saying here? So uh, when I first got into real estate, I was thinking buy and hold. Okay, well, buy and hold is an incredible path to wealth. It's the buy and hold uh, real estate is the single, in my opinion, the single best investment you can make for long-term wealth. That being said, you can't eat equity. Um, so when I got into real estate full-time, I went from, I've got, I'm looking to get this passive income and this wealth to I've got to be active and I started doing a ton of wholesaling because I really liked having electricity. All right. So I went from, um, you know, wholesaling to flipping, uh, and, and I've, I've, uh, then partnered up with somebody that was wholesaling to a hedge fund. So I went back to wholesaling, um, uh, because, uh, but it was to a very specific market. So I went from, uh, a specific market to the next step back to a more specific market in that, in that one industry. Um, and then, uh, from that, I got into some higher end flips from that. I got into, um, some commercial real estate. Uh, and what I'm working on right now is how do I take those concepts from commercial real estate and how do I filter those into the, the single family market? Cause there's, uh, the great thing about learning about commercial real estate and the great thing about residential real estate is a lot of the strategies cross back and forth and how can I, and I want to think of how can I create an opportunity for my investors um, on the single family side, much like they enjoy on, uh, on the commercial side. So um, I, go, I go back and forth between a focusing in to finding the next step and then focusing in and finding the next step and focusing in and finding the next step. So I feel like this is, uh, my path has kind of been a, a ladder or a bridge between these two. Um, and you know, uh, we were talking earlier that real estate knowledge is, is a mile wide, not necessarily a mile deep. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, as I progress to the next, to the next, part of my career, I go, I dive deeper into that. And that opens me up to going back backwards and improving what I, what I used to do. And there's a big line of circular reasoning. Yeah. I, I want to resonate. Uh, I think uh, I find my career kind of resonate with friends too, is that um, I always find myself going back. So, um, you know, when we first started the company, we were focusing a lot on uh, kind of marketing I just learning and learning and learning, practicing about the marketing um, and, uh, and then operations. You know, I, I cannot recount all the specific steps anymore. 
Uh, but now that we're at the stage that we're in, uh, which is a natural expansion, uh, what we realize is that, you know, now I need to master, I need to have a new mastery, which is called fundraising, which is why I'm asking Brent and John uh, and all the things that they are doing, because you guys are much, much more ahead uh, there. Um, now I'm going back to marketing because now when you're fundraising, you know, what, what, what are we really doing? It's a, you know, when you're raising money, it's, a, it's basically a financial product. You know, you're, you're kind of selling a financial, you're selling and marketing a financial product that is much bigger in, the, in terms of dollar value uh, than our current, you know, data product. So it's a, you know, I see it as a $10,000, $20,000, $100,000 product. And how do we do marketing around this product? You know, how do we package it really well? Uh, so it has come, it comes right back into full circle on how to develop this product. So it's really robust uh, to creating all the marketing and filling up the pipeline. And we're still in the middle of developing kind of the full flow. And that's the, the purpose of our investor relations. Um, and yeah, so it's always going back. You know, you, just, you get to a pra practice again at a harder level is what it seems like to me. Um, and speaking of kind of occupying the perfect niche, uh, I'm thinking that, um, uh, you know, a couple of things that, you know, I'm Chinese, so I really should be looking into uh, also seeing if we can do fundraising in, uh, from the Chinese or the Asian countries uh, also in addition to America. And that's also kind of like, oh, okay, there's something unique about uh, me that I probably want to leverage off of. Yes, all good ideas. Um, let's go to the next one. Otherwise, we're running out of time. Uh, next one, they're talking about avoid the wrong path. And in this one, they were talking about Mozart and how his father was trying to make him a performer when his passion is really being a composer. And uh, he had to cut his ties with his father in order to, you know, to to really go down the path that he really wanted to go. I. No, uh, I, I, I could only say the, the way that I resonated with this one is, is kind of the whole idea of architecture, but it's a little bit different because it's not like I didn't like architecture. It's just I didn't like a lot of the design aspect of it because, look, in architecture school, at least the school that I went to, I went to school in Asia, okay? It's extremely subjective. It's basically an art degree. They can tell you that your project sucks, like it just sucks. And then like I bring it over here and people's like, oh man, that's like the best project I ever heard of. And I got like a D for it. So I I just didn't like this, this, you know, it's either I like the idea of it's either right or it's wrong. Not really black and white, but at least there's some sort of answer and some sort of um uh degree of of, of measurement there, not just oh no, I don't like it. And it's like, why? Uh, I just don't like it. And then here, here is, you know, 2.0 GPA. And I'm like, <sighs> so that's, that's kind of where, where I stand on this one. It's not exactly right. I don't know if any of you other three were, you know, going to this, maybe Brent about that. The, um, I, so the one, one thing that I, that I struggle with, with academics and I'm, I'm the, the rare exception to, to the entrepreneurial role. You hear all the entrepreneurs brag about, I made straight D's in college. I'm like, well, I, I, I don't know why you did that. I, I did very, very well in school. Um, I, uh, um, I liked school. Now there, there's a problem with, with academics, and one of the things that I really like about um, about Robert Greene as an author that wrote the book Mastery that we're talking about is he always follows up with a reversal on the rule, and he kind of talks about you know um, chase chase your passions and and you've got to figure out what your niche is. Well, I you got to get paid. Uh, um, academics, they, they've, they've, they've climbed far enough up Maslow's hierarchy of needs of, oh, you just have to chase whatever you're passionate about. You, you, you have to get paid. Get paid and then chase what you're passionate about. Um, and, and Mozart, you know, he was, he was passionate about making music, but the music that he wanted to make wasn't what paid well. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm kind of the, the reversal in that academics is, is what I'm passionate about, but I also disagree with a lot of uh, academic fields of study. I'm, I'm very, 
uh, practical in that, you know, we've got to look at, at what actually pays. So I'm not the one that's just like, follow your passions. And um, I'm dealing with my nieces and I'm probably a little bit too hard on them. They're uh, one of them's uh, 14 and she wants to be a veterinarian because she likes, she likes animals. And I'm, you know, I, I, I love and appreciate that you're passionate about animals. So you're kind of pursuing this, but being a veterinarian doesn't mean you play with puppies all day. Like that, that's not what it means. So we have to look at, you know, what are, what are the, the sides that go with that? Um, one of my nieces, she's younger, so I'm not, I'm, uh, she's not my kid. So it's none of my business anyways, but she's real into like fashion. And I'm just like, there, there's like four people alive that have made money in fashion. Like I, I, it's probably more than that, but it's a, you know what? No, I don't, I'm, I'm not personally encouraging or like, yes, pursue. I I'm, I'm just not that guy. I'm sorry. Um, but it's like, you make some money and then, and then figure out what you're passionate about and, and pursue, um, those pursuits. So, um, as, as far as avoiding the wrong path, um, now here, here's the, here's my reversal on my reversal. Um, when I originally gra uh, got my MBA and graduated from, uh, graduate school, um, I took the job that paid the most. Um, I, I didn't take the, uh, um, the jobs that would be most fulfilling. Um, I took the job that had the biggest paycheck. Um, was that a, was that a bad decision? I don't know. I can't tell you. It kind of led me to where I am and I learned really good skills. That wasn't a good fit for me. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I made a lot of money selling cars and I worked for an incredible company. It just wasn't the, the right career path for me, but through doing something that, you know, wasn't the best fit for me, I developed some really good skills. I developed a, the, the skills that I learned from going down what might be the, the wrong path and applies very well to the, to the path that I'm on now. So whether you're on the right or the wrong path, learn and take those skills and, and apply them to, to, whatever, to whatever you're looking for. Um, but I'm the, uh, I'm the, I, I'm just not good at the whole, Oh, just do whatever makes you happy. And, uh, no, I, that, that's not, I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm pay your bills, pay your bills and then do what makes you happy. Yeah, you generally um, can't be happy unless you pay your bills. Yeah. So, the same thing. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think, um, my approach is a little bit different. Uh, when I was younger in my career, one of the advice I got was, uh, follow your heart. Um, and so, uh, but I also, you know, to, but to say that I also, I took a corporate job when I got out of school, uh, because I knew that I need to kind of learn and just, you know, work for a big company and, and study, I guess, learn from them. Um, and at the time, I think, uh, every, I would say the majority of the time I did not agree with the company and, you know, where it's going and the culture and stuff. It was always a bad fit. Uh, uh, but I think, uh, looking back now, uh, I did learn a lot and I ended up applying of what I learned, uh, in the business. Uh, but I guess, um, uh, my true passion, I think at the time was always like, you know, starting my own thing. Um, and there was a lot of struggle kind of along that path, I think. Um, and for, I think when you follow your heart, you tend to be, uh, you, you have to struggle first. <laughs> You have to struggle first before you can really uh, uh, figure out that uh, passion. Uh, and, but it keeps you going uh, so that you can eventually find that, uh, find that success. Yeah, I agree with you because um, what Brett was alluding, alluding to where like, you know, you don't have, you shouldn't be exactly following your passion. You gotta make some money somehow. And I think that alludes to um, the next chapter about apprenticeship because he does have some examples about that. And I guess in, for my experience, um, yeah, after that first day of work and I realized I was going down the wrong path, I stayed at that company for seven years. Oh my and, and, and the reason is this, is because I knew that I needed to take the time to get my graduate degree and what I'm truly um, passionate about. And also I was taking advantage of the company's tuition reimbursement program. So I knew I had to struggle and sacrifice something to get onto that right path. So. It's not something that happens overnight, for sure. 
Yeah, and, and I think that it's something that, that you can definitely pursue. So um, my my parents uh, come from my, – my dad works on ACs. Um, so very blue-collar background. And when I – so coming out of uh, graduate school, I, I, I got my MBA in 2010. Uh, I had three opportunities. One was a fellowship at a major university. One was at a major uh, financial firm on Wall Street. And one was selling Cadillacs. And uh, I was I was in between the first two of, you know, pursuing academics because I like school. Um, and then uh, the company on Wall Street has a real big name. And it was a uh, it, it would have been a very, very prestigious uh, company to work for. And it, it could have led to a good career path. But at the, in 2010, job market, the pay on Wall Street was not good. And pretty much the salary that they were offering uh, was uh, uh, was enough for me to share a studio apartment with four other dudes, um, and, and that didn't sound that appealing to me. But I still, you know, wanted to kind of chase that. And my dad said, "You know what? Sell cars, sell Cadillacs, and then vacation in New York. Um, do don't don't chase the uh, you, you you can do both." Um, my uh, if you ask me what my biggest passion is, my biggest passion is travel. I love to travel. My wife and I, that's what we love. Um, and you know, there, there's people that make a living as, as travel bloggers. And I, I know people that do it, but you know, they, they kind of, they're like, well, this is how you get if If, uh, if you, you know, sit in the back row of the plane and you, hold a chicken in your lap, then, then you can travel for $4 and, and you can save all this money. I would rather pursue real estate and pay for really luxurious travel. So it's a, um, have, have your passions and pursue your passions. I'm not saying avoid your passions. I'm just saying, you know, uh, you, you can, you can do both. You don't have to, you don't have to make your living. And this is one thing that I disagree with the book. You don't have to make your living through your passion. Now don't do something you hate. Absolutely don't do something you hate, but I mean, it's, it's called work and in academics, there's also like five authors that make, okay, it's, it's probably more than five. It's less than a hundred. I'd have to look into it, but I bet it's less than a hundred authors make a good living pursuing their, their dream of, of being an author. I, I, I don't know. Um, so that, that's one of the things that's, it's a good thought provoking that I, that I don't have to agree with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's very important that when we read, we are basically engaging a, a discussion with a book, right? We don't need to just like follow, you know, what they say. It's always, right. uh, you know, you're having a mental discussion with the book. Oh, um, uh, Jaime also said that it's okay to follow your dreams and follow a business of passion. Uh, but you have to have solid business skills. And I think I agree with that a lot. I yeah, think, for, for uh, sure. You, if you don't know uh, business, uh, you can be just kind of uh, doing your passion and struggling. So it's only when you have a lot of business skills that you can, um, you know, uh, what do what you love and make money doing it. Yep. Let go of the past. Uh, they used the example of Freddie Roach, abandoned his career in professional boxing and then become a successful trainer. You're not what's your past choices and it's up to self to take that change and uh, direct your experience to a new field career. I think we just touched up on that. Uh, a lot of us already did. Uh, I, I use my experiences in architecture, kind of a rough understanding of real estate uh, and then, you know, pursue <laughs> my investment career. Uh, a little bit about a little more on that is that upon graduation in, in university, my original thought is, oh shoot, undergrad pays me 30 grand a year. I got to make at least 50 grand a year, so I better pursue a graduate degree. So I was talking to my father, who was a very successful businessman in Taiwan, and uh, we were just walking. And uh, if you don't know, if you haven't been to Asia, be, be, be to Asia, especially be to Taiwan, uh, their 7-Eleven is like around every single corner and they sell pretty much everything. Like literally you can buy everything in 7-Elevens. And so he was just talking to me, he's like, well, do you know how much, you know, the, the boy in, in that 7-Eleven is, is making? And I was like, I don't know. Well, I was like, well, yeah, he's making 30 grand. I was like, 
dude, I have an undergraduate degree and I'm not make, I'm making the same as a high school student working part-time at a 7-Eleven. And he's like, yes. And then guess what? You know, uh, well, upon graduation, you make 50. Well, have you ever thought about going to business? I was like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, business is fun, but there's not much creation there. It's, you're just dealing with the same old, same old. He's like, no, that's wrong. You can always put more innovation in business. I was like, what do you mean? Well, and then he was talking about all these other stuff and, you know, it, it, he, he runs an import-exporting company in, in Taiwan. Um, we, they in, in import, you know, goods from uh, Taiwan to China and then from U.S. to China to Taiwan. And I'm still part of that business. It's a family business. I'm still part of it, but it's on autopilot right now because it's super easy now. And he's like, well, guess what? If, if, if you build a client base, then they are on an auto on automatic um, trend and you're just collecting money in your pocket every day because everyone else is doing the work for you. I'm like, that sounds pretty good. And he's like, you know what that sounds like? I'm like, no, he's like, that sounds like collecting rent. Well, so, you know, <laughs> it's a long story, but it, it, that kind of prompted me into thinking, hey, rent sounds pretty nice too. So uh, that's, that's uh, and then the reason why I moved back to the States, uh, I, I studied from um, third grade to high school graduation in the West Coast in Washington State, went back to Taiwan for undergrad for architecture, and then came back again, actually for business, and then uh, for, for the exporting importing business. And then while I was here making money, I just decided to invest in real estate, and that did me really good. So uh, kind of a background on that. It's just not really letting go of the past, but using that past experience and, and uh, putting it into my current career choice. I'm not sure if I'm at the 100% right career for, you know, self-discovering yet, but it's, you know, like the book said, it's a journey. It's gonna, I'm gonna have to keep going to find out where that really eventually leads to. Build that passive income and then you're gonna have plenty of time for self-discovery. Yeah, dude, I mean, that <laughs> sitting here just collecting paycheck is always a nice thing to do, right? Now, whether it's from real estate or from business. And I'm sure uh, Steve can agree with me here. I think uh, I think um, uh, uh, having the uh, ability and uh, and the time to kind of discover yourself is is very important. And sometimes yes. it takes time. I think I think our culture has always have a lot of like you know get rich quick scheme or like get rich quick you know you can never find sustainable success. And I think that's something that we put here is that you can't put, you can't have, expect to have uh, sustainable uh, success right here. In the end, the money and success that truly last come not to those that focus on such thing as uh, goals, but rather the ones that focus on mastery and fulfilling uh, their life's tasks. It's not about, you know, just kind of reaching a short term, uh, but, having, gaining your mastery and kind of consistently doing it. And that's kind of habit, you know, it's going back to the front, the beginning of the, of the talk is, is about consistently having the habit. Uh, and then you can, uh, I guess, uh, you have that mentality to, to keep, keep, I guess, keep your wealth or, or um, you know, I don't know where, where we're going anymore. Uh, uh, but one thing that, uh, one more idea that I want to share is, you know, there, uh, there's a, there was a news article that I read many years ago that a million, uh, the people that win lotteries, they all ended up not able mm -hmm. to keep their money. They're, they get into drugs, they, they get into all that stuff because they don't have the, the um, financial education and the financial skill set and the habits to keep the money. You know, you, it's all part of that growing process. You know, it's, it's about becoming a millionaire in your mind and then you can truly become a, a real millionaire. It's not about making the money very quickly. Money doesn't change you. It just makes you more of what you already are. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're almost done here. Let's uh, look at the last slide. Find your way back uh, right here. Talk about Buck Minister Fowler, which is an architect who's an architect. Uh, this is, I mean, I think this is myth. Like he, he was saying that he heard voices upon like wanting to commit suicide. I don't know if that's true or not, but you know, maybe he was doing a lot of self-reflecting and it was like, you know, should I really end my life like that? I mean, 
I have to disagree with this last statement. Most of the time, the money can allure you from your true path. Yes and no, right? So, so much like what Brent was saying, you know, um, the one that pays the most might not be the one that is the most advantageous, but sometimes it is, right? So, um, you know, uh, just much like what we were saying about here, like, okay, if, if everyone can just win the lottery, you know, is, is that a good thing? Well, yes. Well, now that you win the lottery, uh, you know, have a lot of money, you never have to work for money for the rest of your life, you just start spending it. Well, you know, sooner or later, if you ever come to an economical crash, much like what's happening right now here with coronavirus, you might have just lost all your money. And then you don't know how to make it back again. But if you were building on the skills to make that money, then, uh, you know, you could be broke, but you would be able to make it back with the skills that you have already acquired. So that's my give on find your way back and we have one minute but i think we can go a little bit overboard right steve i think i think we can go a little over money money won't buy you happiness i i can tell you that money won't buy you happiness poverty won't buy you crap um, yeah. so you know i've been i've been a rich man and i've been a poor man uh i i recommend rich um that that, that it's that's much nicer yeah it's, it's a lot easier i was better uh, uh, now, and, and I'm not saying that, that my pursuit of, of financial wealth has, has caused, it's, it's caused a little bit of stress from time to time. Uh, if I'm not stressed a little bit at any given time, I'm not pushing myself hard enough. Uh, but I mean, you talked about if everybody wins the lottery, I think that if, I think that if we had a, uh, a total redistribution of wealth, we, we took all of the money in the world and we divided it exactly the way exactly even across every person on the planet i i think i don't know the exact timeline i think within 10 years we would be at the exact same proportions that we're at right now i, yeah. I think that we would be at the if we did a a full wipe we take every dollar every currency everything in the world made it completely equal we would be back where we are with the exact same distribution of wealth we, we eliminate government. Uh, we do the redistribution and then eliminate government interference. We would be right back where we are with, within a number of years quickly. Yeah. I think sooner than 10 years personally, but it, you, you have to have that, you have to develop the skill set and the discipline in order to, to manage that. And we've, we've taken the, I've, I've veered way off of, of what we were talking about a mastery versus um, that, that's how strongly I disagree with the, no, chase your passions and, and, and don't worry about money. money. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's a total, that is a total myth. Um, you, you have to have a, now, uh, there, there's a, there's a point where, where you stop chasing it. There, there's a point, um, that, that accumulating wealth. Uh, doesn't dramatically, and I think it's around seventy-two, eighty-two thousand dollars a year is where the level of happiness doesn't increase with with the money. Um, uh, so I, I I definitely believe in having passions and pursuing passions, but I don't believe that your life's calling is is just your passion because you have to support yourself. You absolutely have to support yourself. I think I, I think I'm good uh, with this slide. Uh, I was going to comment kind of in that in the whole chapter in general. So I'm ready for the next. So we're we're done with the slides. So you can just go ahead and comment. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I think what stands out to me for this chapter is about uh, number one is understanding, uh, finding yourself, and uh, you know they say a lot of folks uh, they seem to have they seem to have be very purposeful. They know what they're doing. And I think we see a lot of masters in life, in our day-to-day -day lives that we admire uh, that have that, um, uh, which is a very uh, admirable uh, quality. And reading this book, I think what it makes me realize is that, hey, it's a, it's a journey to mastery. They just have, uh, they have gone through it. So we, as we find ourselves and find our calling, we can also become those uh, masters ourselves. Uh, and then the second one is finding a deep connection of uh, what you're doing. Um, and, uh, and the fact that to achieve mastery, it's a journey. You need to be patient uh, and expect, you know, five to 10 years uh, of achieving, achieving mastery. That's not a, 
uh, something very quick because you know when I was young I think I definitely made that mistake go, oh, okay yeah you can be very successful very quickly no never you see all these uh, billionaires uh, the tech billionaires uh, you think that's uh, very easy but no never you know like it's always uh, when you see that they got rich uh, overnight they have already been working for it for many 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 years they're already amassing themselves and just just to kind of talk about this um i'm i've attended church uh that you know i've known people that are built uh, almost billion multi-millionaires who donated their entire fortune to the church three times they always were able to make back the same amount of money right away so you know it just shows that those who had the skills to make to take them where they are currently can do it again in much shorter amount of time. I still think the most, uh, the most important thing here is your experience and your skill, not how much your net worth is. Cause I, I just think the whole net worth thing is, I mean, it's a good representation of what you are now physically, but it's not a good representation of who you are in here. And I think that's, what's most important here. Yeah. I have to chime in for a comment here. I think, uh, uh, so millionaire, being a millionaire is a mindset. And who we are today is not who our brain, how we're thinking. We're already, you know, five, 10 years ahead when we're thinking uh, and not who we are uh, today. So the person that we actually are today that, you know, let's say we're interacting, we're talking with, you know, is actually somebody that we'll see in five years, three to five years in the future, I feel like. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.